You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Yes, a God interruption is a welcome interruption. Yeah, if it's a phone, it's not welcome, but it's, uh, if it's God, this, this whole gathering is about him, and if he can't have his way, then, uh, <laughs> then judgment will be ours, you know, we, shame on us. Um, I just love when the Lord moves in hearts, and, you know, the pastoral question this week that comes to me being a pastor is, you know, what, what are you doing that's special for Easter at your church? You know, people around town, kids' school are coming and going. People ask me that. Hey, what are you guys doing at your church for Easter? I'm like, we're gathering with our risen king. We honestly, we're not doing anything different than we do all the other weekends where we, we gather with our risen king. I feel like so often the church tends towards gimmicks because they're not really fascinated with the king himself, you know, and so we, we, we put up with pursuing all these other superficial things to, to really um, make up for the fact that we're really not satisfied with the risen king himself, and so he is the special thing that we're gathering around this morning. It's him. We don't need any extra gimmicks or giveaways, or Easter egg hunts, it's, it's all about him, King Jesus, our risen king, who's here and he showed up as he promises to do, amen? God is so good. Um, I know some of you went to sleep last night dreaming uh, of, a, of a white Easter, but um, <laughs> I've been praying against that all, all last night and, and this morning, and, and we have that promise that... that righteous, fervent prayer uh, will prevail, so it's one, so my wife is praying against me, so she, lo- she loves the snow, and uh, she was playing Christmas music the other day, I was like, what is going on? Um, but I was thankful that the snow has held off. Um, for those that are maybe less frequent around here, I just want to keep you in the loop that this discipleship school that we're launching in the fall is really, uh, the Lord's really pulling things together. And I would just encourage you, if you're pray, praying about being a part of Jesus School, the int- intensive discipleship school that we're launching this fall, I would just uh, encourage you to come talk to us or uh, continue the conversation about what that, what that means, what it looks like. If you, if you feel like money is the, the reason you're uh, wondering whether, whether, whether or not you should set aside a year to seek the Lord in that intensive sort of way, I would encourage you to seek him as your provider. He is more than able to provide your every need. and He's so generous. And so this school will be a school for all adults of all ages to come and sit at the feet of Jesus until their hearts burn with the things that are on his heart. And I, I, we just envision this place being a catalyst for people being propelled to the nations, to our region, um, as they, they burn at the heart of Jesus. And so this environment that we've created on the weekends of prayer and of worship, you get to sit in that environment throughout the week um, and sit at his feet and be grounded in the place of intimacy with the Lord to be sent out uh, from this place. So, so come and, and talk to us. If, you know, it seems like every week there's another application coming in. We're setting up interviews right now with applicants, and it is exciting. My heart is is so excited for the days to come. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the very first recorded sermon of the 
infant church, the, the early church as it started by Jesus himself. We're going to look at the very first recorded sermon and look at the, the major theme of that message being the resurrected Christ. The Lord's desire for you is that you live every single day with the reality of his resurrection. And that's why Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus that they would know the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power. It's available to everyone that believes. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's how Paul prays. So that was his prayer for them, that they would live within this reality daily of the resurrected Christ, not just once a year. I, I'm thankful for the annual rhythms that we can be a part of. I feel like Annual rhythms are extremely helpful for discipling our kids. We just spent time talking about that in the family class that me and my wife were leading. And I think there's a lot of value, and we see that biblically in the Old Testament, how God positioned Israel to, to follow a certain calendar, mostly so that their children would remember what they had been through from generation to generation. So I think annual uh, holidays can be extremely helpful if we allow them to be in discipling the next generation. But... It can't just be a day on the calendar. This is meant to be the gospel reality for us every single day. And so that is my prayer, that you would know the measurable greatness of his power towards those that believe. The power that worked in Christ when God raised him from the dead. So my prayer is that we would never lose the awe and the wonder of the resurrected Christ. So very quickly this morning, I want to point us to Jesus as prophet, as priest, and as king. And we'll see Peter take us through that journey here in this first recorded sermon. Jesus as prophet, as the God-man, as the priest, as the substitute and sacrifice on our behalf, and as the king who rules and reigns to this very day and forevermore, the risen king, King Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. So the context here is the Holy Spirit was poured out on a group of 120 believers, and there was a great commotion, uh, and people began to flock to the commotion that was happening in Jerusalem that day. And so Peter, just the, the God-born preacher within him, just rose up, and he, he saw a, um, a captive audience, and so he started to preach, inspired by Holy Spirit. Um, and so he starts to lay out the gospel to them. This glorious day. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders in signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter first emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. This man whom you've heard about, this, this guy from Nazareth, that village in Nazareth, who grew up amongst you, maybe you didn't hear about it, then you started to hear about him, because his fame grew because of the signs and wonders that were done throughout the region, throughout northern Israel, and then eventually central Israel. And this, this ripple effect of the fame of Jesus began to, to grow. But Peter emphasizes, firstly, Jesus as man, Jesus as prophet. There was something about Jesus' ministry that stoked remembrance in Israel of the prophets of old. 
That's why the murmurings were beginning in Jesus' ministry of who is this guy? Is this Elijah back from the dead? Is this Jeremiah? Who, who is this prophetic voice? Came from the little-known village of Nazareth. What, what has ever come from Nazareth? And so his fame grew throughout Israel as a man. And people's eyes began to turn towards him. He began to catch the attention of the crowds and the masses. This man attested to you. By, by mighty works and wonders, the Lord is so good to woo our hearts. To woo our hearts in ways that speak our language. And I believe that centrally, that's one of the main reasons, the, one of the greatest motivations of the Lord to do miracles, signs, and wonders is to draw the human heart. We all know this stuff is all temporal. And any healing is temporal until we receive our glorified bodies, the other side of eternity. And so anytime the Lord encounters us in a supernatural way, it's really meant to win our hearts over to him, to soften our hearts. It's the pain of this world and the, the results of the curse that oftentimes embitter us to God. Those are the things that oftentimes harden our hearts away from the Lord. And so it's the Lord's kindness. It's his goodness to catch our attention through the supernatural, through, through mighty works of signs and wonders. And that's what he did. And people's attention was, were drawn towards this Messiah, towards this man. Even before he was known to be the Messiah, they, they were just drawn to him. There was this mag magnetic pull by his signs and wonders and miracles as man, before he even revealed his deity, before he revealed that he was God, he actually kept that under wraps for, if you're familiar with the Gospels. He was very, he was very careful not to allow his divine nature to, to be understood by very many. At first, he needed them to understand him as just man, as this prophetic voice pointing people to God. But let's continue in verse 23 because we'll see here Jesus is also priest. This Jesus, this God-man, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus as our priest. Jesus is the one who was able, and we talked about a good Friday night, on Friday night, Jesus was able to actually go into the Holy of Holies. He was worthy to go into the Holy of Holies because he was perfect. He is our high priest, and he then himself lays himself down before the Father as the sacrificed. So Jesus is prophet as the God-man. He is priest as the God-man. And for, for us in our humanity, it's important for us to understand that the cross was never God's plan B or God's even emergency rescue plan. This was always God's plan A. It says from his definite plan and foreknowledge. It's been said by scholars that the cross is the window into God's heart. This is just who he is. And so the, the sending of his very son was an expression deep in the recesses of God's heart before the formation of the earth. And the cross is our glimpse into the very nature and essence of who God is, the love of God. And so Jesus came as a man, 
God, the Son of God, came as a man and lived perfectly in our midst to fulfill every requirement of the law, every requirement of God's agreement between himself and humanity, Jesus fulfilled so that he was actually able to go into the very presence of the Father before the mercy seat and offer himself his blood, his perfect blood on our behalf, Jesus as our priest. And we exalt the resurrected Christ, but may we never forget how the resurrected Christ came to be glorified as such, and it was through the cross. It was through his willing sacrifice, his willing substitute, him willingly giving himself as our substitute. A.W. Tozer said this, that the life that halts short of the cross, so doesn't approach the cross, avoids the cross, is but a fugitive and a condemned thing, doomed at last to be lost beyond recovery. That life which goeth to the cross and loses itself there to rise again with Christ is a divine and deathless treasure. That is the paradox of trusting in Jesus, the crucified Christ, our high priest, the one who went on our behalf. So Jesus was prophet, he was priest. But I want us to see here in this message, the first recorded sermon of the church, what the major emphasis is. Because it is Jesus as king. Yes, he was prophet. Yes, he was priest. But the major emphasis of this first sermon and the major emphasis of much of the preaching of the gospel within the early church was Jesus as the resurrected king. His resurrection, putting the the period, the emphatic period behind the reality that he is king. He's been king throughout all of eternity, but now to humanity, he's been revealed as such, as king. So let's, let's read this, verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, like the, the birth pangs of death is really what that, that's referring to. It's the same wordage that would be used, language that would be used to describe birth pangs. He was released from that. He wasn't doomed to the the results of death for all of eternity. Instead, he experienced the birth pains of death through his crucifixion, but he was loosed from that. It could not hold him. That's what the next phrase is, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, that I saw the Lord Always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter, inspired by Holy Spirit, understood that David, as psalmist, was prophetically speaking, not about himself, but instead speaking about this one who would come. This better king. You know, in the the minds of Israel, David was the best king. He led Israel in the golden age of Israel. That was like the heyday. The glory days of Israel was King David. And that was always the, the, 
kind of the, the legend of David himself, was those were the glory days that led Israel forward in, in glory and triumph over other nations and expanded Israel's fame and whatnot. Everyone loved David. But David was but a foreshadowing of an even greater king, a king not of this world. Yes, born here and raised amongst the people so they could see him and witness and attest to his, his uh, legitimacy, but truly not with his origin of this world, a better David. And so Peter pointed Israel this day, these Jewish hearers, he pointed them to, to Jesus as the better David. And it says, continuing on in verse 29, Brothers, I'm, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, David, that he, is, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with, with us this day. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David was this foreshadowing of Jesus himself, the true king. And here Peter calls David a prophet. In an even lesser, I mean in a lesser way, but in a similar way to Jesus who fulfilled that role as prophet. There was a prophetic message that, that pointed people to the heavenlies, that pointed people to God. If we are familiar with the story of David, we know that David also played a role as a priestly king. Central to his mission was establishing Israel as a place of worship. And the glory of God is the centerpiece of the people of Israel. So David, in a very lesser way, pointed towards this king who would come, who would be prophet, who would be priest, and who would be king. Continue on, verse 32. says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Holy Spirit was poured out. That's what, I, that's what I mean when I say we gather with the king on the weekends as a church family. We can't live here seven days a week. We're meant to live life in this world like pilgrims representing the king but central to our life as a follower of Jesus is gathering as the household of God, as the people of God, as the family of God. And when we gather, we're not just singing kumbaya. We're not just singing words on a screen, as Joseph rightly reminded us earlier. Instead, we're meeting with the king because Holy Spirit has been set free on the earth because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this day in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit was poured out upon this group of 120 they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we gather with such expectation. Every time we gather, it's a holy gathering because Jesus is exalted as king and Holy Spirit comes to, to meet with us in our midst. The spirit of Jesus, as the book of Acts says later. It's the spirit of Jesus gathering in our midst. Verse 34, it says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So 
Peter understands his audience that he's speaking to a Jewish audience who understands David, that language of uh, messianic prophecy through David. And so he's pointing them to Jesus as the fulfillment of everything David was saying. It couldn't have been David that he was referring to himself because we all know that he, he died and they actually were familiar where, with where his tomb was. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom, you, whom you've crucified. It is possible to know for certain that Jesus is Lord. And that's my prayer for us this morning, is that we would know for certain in our heart of hearts that Jesus is Lord. I believe there's a shift that happens when we affirm Jesus as Lord. Yes, as prophet that gets our attention. Yes, as priest that comes as our substitute, but then is exalted as, G, as king over all, over both our lives and over all the universe. He truly is Lord over all. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said that a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Jesus truly demonstrated that he had power over sin and death. And therefore what it requires of us is our all. He's done it all for us already. There's no more striving. There's no more straining. It all dies there that day through the power of the resurrection. I think it's fascinating here that, that Peter says that the, the crowds there in Jerusalem that day, they could see and hear the proof or see and hear the fruit of the resurrection. There was this this noise that had erupted because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there will always be fruit because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's both seen and heard. And if there isn't fruit, then we've missed something. And we need to go back to step one, to come before the cross and be led through that place of the crucified Christ so that his triumph may be seen through us, that may be seen and heard to the world around us. There should always be fruit that is seen and heard from the resurrection. But I think there's an aspect to the resurrection that oftentimes doesn't get emphasized that Peter takes time to expound on here. Before ultimately, we didn't continue on, but until ultimately there's just this amazing altar call and thousands of people end up giving their hearts to Jesus this day. But before that, he spends much of his time talking about the resurrected Christ and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. The ascended Lord. There is no higher place than what Christ has accomplished. He is Lord over all, King of all kings, King over all. It's Lord. He is Lord. I think this is important for us to understand so that we can stop straining and striving to reach to a higher place because Jesus has already reached there. So religion says keep reaching higher. The gospel says keep looking higher to where Christ is. Keep looking to where he is. Allow your, your gaze to go higher 
to where Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of the Father. The ascension is actually a moment that took place, you know, after 40 days after, or 30 some days after um, Jesus' resurrection. He appeared to, he, over this period of, of weeks, he, he appeared to his disciples. Over more than 500 people encountered the resurrected Christ in his bodily form. But then they have this, mount, they have this moment on the Mount of Olives where, where Jesus physically ascends into the heavens, confirming the, the physical resurrection of Jesus, but then also him ascending to his rightful place. And that's where our gaze goes. That's where our sights now go. With the ascended Christ to the right hand of the Father. And it's in that place that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing with Jesus in the heavenly places. That is the victorious Christian life that we are blessed with in Christ. And so Peter ends his, ser his sermon telling them that they can know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, fulfilling every iota of the prophets of old, everything that, that the, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people knew that the Messiah needed to fulfill, he fulfilled it all, but that he is also Lord. So Christ speaks to his Messiahship Lord speaks to his rulership, his ruling and reigning worth as king. You can know for certain. And the reason is because he rose from the dead. He conquered death. The Bible calls death the, the last enemy of each one of us to be defeated. You and I haven't seen victory over death yet. It still looms in the distance, but we have hope because of this one who, who for us is the, the first fruits of the resurrection, who is our hope, our eternal hope, and we can know for certain as we read the testimony of Scripture that he is Lord. And my prayer is that that would be a personal reality to every single person this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward because we're going to exalt him as king one more time. But I do believe that, that many can believe that the Bible is the word of the Lord, but they don't live lives submitted to the Lord of the word. There can be a certain mental assent given to the authority of Scripture. But then when we see our lives live Monday through Saturday, if we'd be honest, that we, we recognize that we're not living lives submitted to the very Lord that is exalted in, in, this, in this word. So the resurrection calls us to a life set apart. The resurrection is set up for you to have an encounter every day through, the, through living relationship with the King of all kings. I want to end with just a verse that towards the end of this week just leapt off the pages to me that I wanted to present to you. And this is not on, on the screen, but Philippians chapter three is Paul 
shares here his testimony in Christ. He talks about the reality that he hasn't obtained perfection. We receive perfection as we pass from death to life and we receive our immortal bodies, we receive our glorified bodies. Do you know that, that Jesus, as resurrected Christ, he still has his glorified body in heaven. He still is the God-man, the incarnate God. He still has a physical body in heaven as the glorified, as the glorified God, the glorified King of all kings. He still bears the wounds of the crucifixion. All those elements are important as Jesus appeared to the disciples and he still bore his wounds. I think that's important as Jesus physically ascended to the heavens. He became a, a glimpse into what we are promised. But it's not all future tense. It's not all just awaiting us in, in heaven to come. In Philippians chapter three, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Jesus stopped at nothing to buy you back, literally going down to the pit, giving of his very life and rising from the dead to convince your heart personally so you can know for certain that you have a conqueror and his name is Jesus. But Paul says he strives to make it his own and that's my prayer for each and every person gathered here this morning is that you'd be able to make it your own. As Peter said, that you'd know for certain that Jesus is Lord. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.